Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study now of the Old Testament. Uh, this is our second week. It's kind of funny saying that. After five years in the New Testament, I was really liking saying, hey, this is number 252, but now it's like number two. Uh, <laughs> but um, 15 years times 50, 10, we're going to have some high numbers in the next one. And uh, we'll, we'll do that together. But we're in Genesis chapter 2 this week as we started uh, our discussion in Genesis 1 last week. And um, last week when I started, I just kind of dove right in without giving you a lot of backdrop or anything about uh, Genesis um, or how it was written or all those things. And, um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back now that we've introduced Genesis and, and talk a little bit about some of those things, which is actually the literary device that is happening in the book of Genesis. Because when you read Genesis 2, some people think, well, it's like another account of a different creation or something. Or it's a, but it's really not. Um, in the book of Genesis... There are sections that happen, and what's happened is the writer um, introduced everything in Genesis 1, and now he's going to go back over um, places in Genesis and sort of give you some additional information. And so it's actually a, it was a, a way to write the book to establish things in Genesis 1 and then go back and to look at these things further um, as we go on. And, and so we'll, um, we'll be talking about that as we go um, through the process of uh, looking through uh, Genesis. And um, I wanted to find those sections for you real quick. But these sections are, um, it starts with, this is the account of. I just wanted you to see it. So when you read that, you know that, that now you have a, you're getting more information on something that was developed earlier on in the book. And uh, in Genesis 2-4, it starts, this is the account of. So it's, uh, it's what we're going to talk about as we go. So let me give you a little background information um, on the Old Testament. And um, you can, you can uh, either you know, um, th write this down or not. You don't have to. I just want you to know where we're at. So um, in the Old Testament, the books in the Old Testament are not in chronological order. I didn't know if you know that, but you should know that. They are not in chronological order. They skip around. Um, and so when you read the events throughout the Old Testament, don't think, well, this happened, then this happened, this happened. They're actually not like that. Um, and, and there's just the way they put it together. It, it doesn't work that way. In fact, it's very possible that Job predates um, Genesis in its writing. So uh, the stories don't all line up chronologically. And... Um, if you're ever interested in the chronology of the Old Testament, on our website, we, uh, we did the entire Old Testament survey uh, in our school of ministry on Sunday nights. We recorded most of those sessions, and the notes are there, and that would be at our main website, and then go to Vineyard Schools, and then go to School of Ministry, and there's a pretty clear chronology, um, like in the first lesson, uh, either Old Testament Survey 1, Part 1, or Part 2, that goes through how the books all sort of fit together. So they're not in chronological order. The first five books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those books are known also as the Law, the Law of Moses, the Pentateuch, and the Torah. So if you hear those things being mentioned, that's what's happening. It's those five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, we believe that they were all uh, Holy Spirit-inspired and actually written by Moses. Um, so... He's the ascribed author of those uh, five books. Um, 
the, the, the 12 books after that are all historical books. And you, you, I'm going to read them too fast for you to write down, but you can figure it out. The next 12 are Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And um, in the Hebrew text, they, um, some of those books are one book. And um, they've been split out over time. Um, the content not messed up with, but just split and do other books. Um, but uh, uh, some of those books are combined in, uh, in the Hebrew text. And then there's the next five are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those are all called the books of poetry. And um, so that's very interesting. The next five, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel are known as the major prophets. And then the next 12, um, there's a lot of names there, but those are all the minor prophets. And um, so if you're looking at all those names, you know, start with Hosea and move through Malachi, everything in between. Those are the minor prophets, so those are the difference. And so there's 17 historical books, there's five experiential books, and then there's 17 prophetical books, all with the prophets. So that's the breakdown, the 39 books that we have of the Old Testament. Um, it's all, the old, uh, old Testament was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's written by over uh, 30 different writers over a 1,200-year period. And so um, Paul says this about the Old Testament, Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So um, the Apostle Paul puts a big, uh, big plus on the Old Testament for us. Um, it covers the history of Israel and Judah from creation to Malachi. Um, and Malachi was written around 400 B.C., um, so the Old Testament finishes at 400 B.C. The New Testament picks up, you know, at around the birth of Christ with John the Baptist uh, um, being the first prophetic voice to be heard on the scene for 400 years. There was a 400-year silence um, that, that takes place in that process. Um, because we can date pretty well the Scripture from certain archaeological events, um, uh, obviously, you know, people have tried to date that way back to creation and get a point for that but there's some generations that may have been skipped over in the process but um, we can we're fairly confident the book of Genesis um, was actually written somewhere between 1440 and 1400 BC so um, uh, I know that's a long time ago but really not as long as you may think I don't know how you how your mind works with dates but uh, we're 2,000 years on this side of it so 14 so 3400 years ago 3500 years ago the the uh, the Torah was, was written by Moses under the inspiration of the Spirit. And um, the rest of the books then follow suit. Like I said, Job may predate Genesis. Um, it's possible it's actually older in its writing. And um, there are many of the major themes um, through, that are then um, resolved throughout the rest of the Bible are all started in Genesis. And um, it answers, you know, lots of great questions happen in, in Genesis, lots of life questions. Where did we come from? You know, we know that God created us in Genesis 1.1. Why are we here? Um, we're here to have relationship with God, Genesis 15.6. Where are we going? Um, we have an ultimate uh, destination with him, uh, Genesis 25 says that. So that's a little background on the whole Old Testament and Genesis in general. Um, and certainly it's not, you know, all-encompassing, but you get an idea of what's taking place and what we have and... and uh, how we hold on to the scripture and, and that it's 
you know, I think sometimes people start thinking it's so ancient, and it's, it's old, don't get me wrong, um, but uh, it, it's, you know, 3,000 years. So when we started this, this concept, 3,500 years in Genesis. Um, we were talking about that in our, in our meeting today. Um, the, the, the worship team tonight are all young leaders here at the Vineyard. We meet every Wednesday, and we have Bible discussion. Um, and we're working through uh, the, um, the Old Testament now ourselves, doing the Old Testament survey with the other group. We finished the New Testament last year. And we were talking about this whole sort of idea about time. And, and um, you know, in our country, in, in America, because our history is really only a few hundred years, um, we have that concept of age. But in places of Europe, I mean, there's still a lot of buildings and stuff that are happening that are 2,000 years old. I mean, that, that are still part of every, you know, life. And uh, I think it's fascinating when you think about that, that, that concept of age, um, that there's still things around that, that, you know, the people we're reading about were, were involved with and, and relating to and touching. I mean, to me, that's fascinating. Uh, and so, anyway, I hope that helps you in your thoughts as you read through the scripture and helps connect you with it uh, in, some, in some way. All right, so we're in Genesis 2, uh, only 25 verses only. Uh, let me read them to you, and then we'll just discuss it for a few minutes. We'll call it tonight. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account, new section starting, of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It uh, winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Uh, aromatic, ar aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gehan. It rinds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs, runs along the east side of the Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So um, Genesis 2 then um, you know, really answers sort of a, a basic question. What is the origin and nature of human beings? And that um, the, the answer is that we human beings are the special creation of God made in his image and likeness. And that's an extremely important fact. Um, and and um, when, when we move away from that concept, people begin to disregard life. And, uh, and so when that value isn't instilled in people, they, they have a genuine disregard for life, their own and others. Um, and so it's very important that um, we understand that we were made, uh, we were the special creation of God, made in his image and likeness. And, and that um, gives us, not only gives us worth, but also um, the people that we encounter also have that same worth and value. Um, we, are, we are precious beings because we were created and made by God in his own image and likeness. Now, um, as I said, this idea of Genesis 2, some, sometimes some would believe that it's sort of a, uh, another account of human creation and that it, it contradicts some of the things in Genesis 1, but it, it wasn't. As I said, it's a, it's a literary device where the overall picture was painted for us in Genesis 1, and now the writer um, is adding to the um, details in Genesis 1 with more information. The first was sort of an overview, and now he's filling in the gaps um, as he goes. And um, each time you read, this is the account of in Genesis, which happens in Genesis 5, Genesis 6, 10, 11, 25, 36, and 37. You're getting more information on that first little round of info that you got in Genesis 1, and things that are happening and moving forward in um, the rest of the uh, chapters in Genesis. So we have that. Um, and then one of the first things that's introduced is Eden. Sounds like a pretty good place, right? Uh, um, I think it's important to see um, the, the care that God took in designing um, Eden and what this tells us about ourselves and him, that he created this place, um, this amazing place, for the, his special creation to enjoy and um, to, to live in and to experience him in, a, in an amazing way. Um, you know, full access to God. Uh, no pain, no shame, no sorrow. You know, they were experiencing then many the, the promises that we know are coming back to us when God sets everything straight again at the end. But um, they had it, they, they tasted it, they were a part of it. And um, this is what they experienced. And I think, so when you think about it, you have to think how amazing God is that he created this amazing environment um, for the people that he, he loved to, um, to live in. And then, you know, a lot of people go, you know, well, where is it? Um, they kind of want to know, you know, can, is, is, where is it? And um, two of the rivers mentioned out of those four, very well known geographically. And um, it, it, people that have tried to investigate this, um, believe that um, this, this area some, must have existed at some level somewhere above Babylon um, near the Persian Gulf um, because of how the rivers run and, um, um, the, and, and actually um, archaeologists believe uh, even the ones that don't believe in, in God believe that life sprung out of that, um, that crescent area that's um, 
that's where things happen from um, that part of uh, the civilized earth. But but there is no way to pinpoint um, Eden um, because everybody would be trying to get in. <laughs> You'd have a hard time because of the cherubim and the... Not good. So, uh, you, ever, you ever start thinking about that? It's like you get the putt-putt thing, you know, when they have that thing where you're trying to... No, okay. Probably falls apart, the analogy there. <laughs> the windmill. <laughs> um, oh, then he, and, uh, you, you know, it's very important too, Genesis 2, uh, th- this chapter, because um, quite a bit of time is mentioned there beginning about um, rest. And we live in such a busy, moving, fast-paced, go, go, go kind of world. Um, uh, and, and, um, and, and very often we can find a million things to do instead of rest. But, but God demonstrates that rest is appropriate and very important. And uh, uh, that he himself, even though he didn't need to rest, setting an example for all of us, that you do need to stop sometimes. Um, and that's the premise of the... Uh, of a Sabbath, of taking a day and just relaxing and enjoying life. Um, I, I don't personally view the Sabbath as a, as a day when you can't do anything. Um, I believe it's a, uh, I always say for me, the Sabbath is a, an opportunity to, um, to rest, to recreate, to recharge, and to remember how great God is. And that those are the activities that I like to see on a on a Sabbath. So that there's it's not that there's inaction, it's just not um, focused on trying to make everything in life work, and that that's the idea of a Sabbath. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm also not. Um, uh, I think you need to get one a week, whatever that looks like for you. For for a lot of people, I'm, it's good that it's Sunday, and that includes you know coming to church and worship and having fun and doing all those things. Um, for others who just don't have that possibility. Um, so people always, sometimes they chuckle when I say it. Sunday for me is not a Sabbath. Sunday's a lot of work for me and for the people that are here. So we take a different day um, as a break because it's not, I mean, it's great. I love being here and stuff, but it's, you know, that's a fairly busy day. So um, that would be sort of, you know, anyway, we pick a different day. Not, not complaining about Sundays. I love Sundays, but that's not my day of rest. And that's okay. I think that the Lord says, you know, it's really, he, he wants us in that, flow that we, 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 we pull back um, and that says we trust him too that, that we can trust him that he can get everything accomplished in six days just like he did and uh, so we should let him do that and realize that, that you know if, if, if our life is such that we can't unplug for a day we got something not right um, and so he, he blessed it and set it apart for holy use and um, I just talked about Sabbath in there um, he was created uh, the, from the dust of the ground um, so there's nothing, you know, fancy about the uh, chemical elements that make us up. What's fancy about us is that God did it and breathed life into us. That's the fancy part, the breath of God, um, the life-giving breath. And, and, um, and so that's, that's pretty cool. And, and, but as we talked about on um, Sunday, last Sunday, um, you know, real life comes from, from uh, being spiritually born in him, that, that we're now all born flesh. Um, and, and then, but when we come to him where spirit gives birth to spirit where they were created with the breath of life in them and then things changed uh, after the fall uh, and you'll see that when you get into Genesis 5 up until then everybody's created the image of God in, in, in uh, uh, 
in Genesis 5, Adam has a child named Seth created in the image of Adam. And uh, it's pretty important that that happens. We're still image bearers, but it's been, uh, it was messed up because of the fall, reinstated at the cross. So, verse 9, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, if you don't, if you, you, that existed, it looks like, before the account of man's sin. And so there was evil already, and, and so my, my understanding of that would be that the evil one has fallen already at this point. Um, the enemy has done his thing and been kicked out. And uh, so we, we have the tree there, the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life is there too. Um, and and um, that tree of life talks about Adam and Eve could eat from that and, and uh, enjoy a permanent relationship as God's children, but their sin separated them from that and it kept them from obtaining eternal life and so that they don't have access, they're kicked out so they don't have access to the tree. But what's fascinating about that tree is it shows up again in Revelation 22. The tree of life is there, which is a picture of us enjoying eternal life with God and having access to it again in Christ. So that's pretty cool. And then... Um, a lot of people ask about why God would have put that tree there, the, the one of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God, if God really loved people, why did he put the tree there? Why didn't he just not put the tree there? And then none of this would have been an issue. And um, the reality is uh, that, that Adam was given the freedom to choose. Otherwise, the existence um, with God would have been more like a prisoner and very hollow. There would have been no option. You, you, you know, you, this is just the way it is, and it wouldn't have been um, what God wanted it to be, which is we have a choice to be in relation with him or not, to be obedient or not, to choose to follow him or not, and uh, we still have that choice. People still have that choice, and um, God created people and wants to have eternal life with them. Um, you know, created you for that purpose. He wants to spend life with you forever, but you get to choose. And that's still the way it goes today. You get to choose. And then I, I just believe God, you know, people have trouble with, oh, he's a, he's, a, he's a great God. He's not a bad God at all because you, that choice has to be made. And you get to choose. And you, you get that choice in this life. And, and how you choose in this life, he honors for eternity. If you choose to follow him in this life, you will follow him forever. If you choose not to, that will be the choice that he honors. And uh, it's not his heart to see anybody not in relationship with him. That's his ultimate desire reason we were created and why he went to such great lengths at the cross but we always get the choice and um, my suggestion would be you know choose to obey God best choice and then um, uh, the creative work wasn't uh, complete until um, we get the account where God created woman uh, and um, uh, he, he made men and woman together so that um, it, together we bear the image of God in a very spectacular way uh, and and uh, this is a very important part of the process and uh, um, that, that there's a, uh, you know, the, the picture is complete now. Um, men and women reflect uh, together the image of God as they were created and that um, that's a very important dynamic that we need to understand that, that that was part of the process of creation. We both are image bearers and, and uh, uh, together we, we truly reflect, reflect the image of God. And then... Um, there was no shame. Uh, there, there was no fall, so there was no nothing to be ashamed of. I often think, have you ever seen? You ever seen a little kid that'll come running into the room with no clothes on, uh, and it's just kind of cute and innocent, and they run through and they don't think anything of it. 
athletes because there's no, they don't know to be anything else. And uh, that was kind of the dynamic. There was no, there was, they didn't have any reason to experience shame at all. Perfect, you know, it was, everything was perfect. Um, there was no sin. There was no fall. There was no error. There was no judgment. There was no, it was perfect. And um, I like that picture because next, next chapter, you know, the fall happens and that's, it's a mess for the next, until we get to the end of Revelation. Um, but knowing that it's coming back to that type of spot where there's no more shame and there's no guilt and there's no sorrow, no tears. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful gift and picture. Um, and it's 8 o'clock, and so I'm done. That's enough. We could talk a long time on those things. Uh, if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and see us when you can. Please turn the video off and let me know when you've done that by waving.